I was duped. I like to think that I'm pretty savvy when it comes to the internets. And I don't get sucked in easily to believing everything that I read on the internet. But this time it happened. I guess three out of four isn't bad. Three out of, out of the four ads that I'm going to show you are actually legit. One of them, however, is not, and I believed all four were true. It wasn't until yesterday when I looked them up that I realized, yeah, this really is not true, and I felt really foolish for believing it. Let me show you these four ads, and you can try and guess which one you think is the illegitimate one, the, the made-up one, the parody. And after I show you all four, I'll reveal which ones were real and which ones were not. How about this one? Cocaine toothache drops. Instantaneous cure, price only 15 cents for sale by all druggists. I think that's a real ad. These are all supposed to be real ads from a long time ago. You won't find these today. The Dutch Boys Lead Party, a paint book for girls and boys. How about this one? Let this magic mineral asbestos protect the buildings on your farm. And finally, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. Let me read this one for you. How soon is too soon? Not soon enough. Laboratory tests over the last few years have proven that babies who start drinking soda during that early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen and teen years. So do yourself a favor. Do your child a favor. Start them on a strict regimen of soda and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a lifetime of guaranteed happiness. Sponsored by the Soda Pop Board of America. Well, can you guess which one wasn't true? Uh, the cocaine toothache drops. This was an ad actually created in 1885. So it's a legitimate ad. The Dutch Boys Lead Party. This is actually a children's coloring book put out in 1923. The asbestos ad, the magic mineral, debuted around 1937. And now I've already given it away, and maybe I did in the reading. But this is the illegitimate ad, the Start Cola earlier ad. R.J. White created, in, created it in 2002 as a parody. White wrote, and this, he wrote this about 10 years ago, about seven or eight years ago, I made this fake ad exhorting parents to give soda to their babies. It was done on a board afternoon when J.D. Reisner asked for someone to make that very specific thing on his live journal. I whipped it together, posted it on the internet, joke over. Then, a couple of years later, it started showing up online in those weird lists that pop up every so often with, oh man, these ads were strange back then, and weren't they, theme. Thing is, those ads are largely real. 
and mine is not, and very obviously so. Today, this ad is having a resurrection of sorts as social media sites like Tumblr and Pinterest are presented it to new generations of people to be duped into believing that it was an actual real ad. I've done you a public service this morning. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. Maybe, like me, you are one of those people who were duped by this ad or something else you read on the internet. When presented with the truth, it makes me more skeptical and also makes me wonder whether I've been duped by other claims I've read on the internet. Not surprisingly, the Bible has something to say about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which Julie read for us this morning, Paul lays out a biblical philosophy of ministry. And in these six verses, he presents a ministry, not a manipulation. Do you know the difference between ministry and manipulation? Ministry is serving the interest of others. Whereas manipulation, using others to serve one's own interest. And there are many people in this world today that are interested in manipulating you. And if they can do that, they can use you to accomplish their purposes. That should never be any part of our presentation of the gospel, of our ministry as servants of Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses that in these verses. The first principle that he lays out in verses 1 and 2 is this one. A biblical philosophy of ministry means that you will communicate with integrity. In verse 1, Paul explains that he had this ministry by the mercy of God. This was true for Paul, who was literally stopped in his tracks on the road to a town called Damascus, where he was headed to round up another group of Christians and subject them to religious persecution, imprisonment, death. And there on that road, and you can read more about this in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26, Paul literally was stopped by a bright light and the voice of Jesus Christ who said, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's response was the first response that we all should ask, who are you, Lord? And he responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then Paul's next response was also the response that we all should have, what do you want me to do? And from that point on in his life, Paul was committed to doing everything that Jesus said for him to do. Say yes to everything Jesus says yes to. No to everything that Jesus says no to. And all this because God in his mercy stopped Paul in his tracks. I don't think any of us in this room have as dramatic of a testimony 
as that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't take away from the fact, it doesn't lessen the impact of God's mercy on our lives. We are who we are. We are where we are. We believe what we believe, not because of anything intrinsic in any one of us, but simply because of the mercy of God. And because of that mercy, this section that we find our passage in this morning, 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 5, it all culminates in chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul writes, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friends, when you have been commissioned by the mercy of God, you have been given a mission. And that's to share this wonderful good news, the same good news that you heard that you were able to believe, that you were able to receive and apply to your life to share that with other people. And in so doing, Paul says that because of this, we do not lose heart. Earlier in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Being commissioned by the God of the universe should inspire such a degree of confidence that you don't have to lose hope. You don't have to lose heart. You can speak with boldness. But to do so in a proper way. Paul goes on, he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Resorting to underhanded top, uh, tactics, forms of manipulation, only weakens the power of the gospel in its unadulterated, glorious hope. But it also corrupts the minister into a manipulator. Paul recognized that the only way to communicate with integrity would be to renounce manipulation and commit himself to the power of the Holy Spirit that as God's word is shared, the Holy Spirit takes that word and speaks to the heart of those who are listening and says, yes, this is true. Believe this. This is life. This is hope. So Paul had a, com a commitment to communicate with integrity. Secondly, he had compassion for people. He wrote, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul had compassion on people because he recognized that they had a twofold problem. They were under double jeopardy. Number one, they were blind. Number two, they're perishing. And because they're blind, they can't recognize that they're perishing. It's obviously a big problem. I have in front of me a, a bowl of fruit. 
You've probably been wondering what it's doing here. It's not for my snack halfway through the sermon, although it is tempting. These are uh, beautiful and delicious peaches and nectarines. I take it very cautiously because they're going to tumble off if I'm not careful. And I know these are delicious because I've eaten several of these in the last couple of days. And yet, this peach is perishing. Ever since it was plucked from the tree, I don't know how many days or weeks ago, it's been perishing. Because the tree is the source of its life-giving power. And once it is removed from that, once that separation takes place, it begins to perish. Even though it looks good and it feels good, and I wish I could start eating it right now, but I know the juice would start running all over me and it would just disgust you and, and uh, maybe make you jealous of me at the same time. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God had told them not to eat any fruit from the tree that was in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and he said that if you do, if you eat from that tree, the day that you, will, that you eat of it, you will surely die. It's very interesting as you read Genesis chapter 3, Eve took, took a bite, ate it, gave to her husband Adam, he took as well, he ate it, and they didn't fall over. But something else happened, right? They looked at each other, and for the first time in their existence, they realized that they were naked, they had no clothes on. What was taking place? The separation was taking place. A separation in their relationship. See, sin always brings death, and death means separation. And that day, they began to perish. And every single one of us are born into this world. As a result of their sin, we are born into this world perishing. Jesus said in that famous talk with Nicodemus, the passage just following the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 and John 3.18, it says, uh, whoever believes in, him is not con- believes in me is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, that's the state that we are all born into this world. And so Paul, of all people, had compassion on those who are blind and perishing because he recognized he was in that very position himself. And Paul, in other places, describes himself as a very respectable person. But it's not respectability that rescues you from perishing. It's interesting that, that Paul uses this word perishing and he connects it with Jesus Christ. Unless you believe in Jesus, unless you turn from your sins and trust in him, you are perishing. And ultimately, if you never turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, you will perish forever and ever, and ever. I was in Japan for nine years, nine of the best years of my life. Some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the world are Japanese people. But less than 1% of the population even claims to be a Christian of any kind. 
But they are good people. And at the same time, perishing. Whether you're Muslim, Buddhist, Shinto, atheist, you could be good, you can be moral, you can be kind, but that's not enough. And Paul had compassion for people because he saw them as perishing. So this biblical philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of ministry, answers two questions. It answers the why question and the how question. Why? We're going to communicate with integrity because we have received this mission from God because of his mercy. We're going to communicate with integrity. Why? Because we have compassion for people. But how are we, go- how are we going to do this? Paul has a commitment to Christ. There is only one way for blindness to be removed and for the perishing to be rescued. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was committed to one thing, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. How does simply telling others about Jesus, how does God use that to remove their blindness and rescue them from their perishing? Well, Paul uses an illustration going back once again to Genesis. And he said, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God uses his word. In Genesis 1, he created the entire universe by speaking it into existence, where once there was nothing, by his very voice, he brings the universe into being. And so the same with a person who is blind, And perishing, God speaks through his word, reveals the glory of who Jesus Christ is, and a supernatural miracle takes place. No no less than when creation came into existence from nothing. And how do we know this happens? Because it happened to me. Did it happen to you? Look what he says, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We know this works because this is what happened to us. This is what happened to Paul. This is what happened to you. This is what happened to me. Friends, it doesn't get any simpler than this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been commissioned to represent him by telling unbelievers about him. And God has placed people in your lives. People who are blind and are perishing. God has placed them there for a reason. In in his sermon uh, to a group of philosophers in the city of Athens, Paul says these words in the middle of his sermon. It's found in Acts chapter 17. 
And he made, one, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. That neighbor who just moved in next to you, he thinks it's just a coincidence that he's your neighbor. Your new coworker on the job chalks it up once again to chance that he happens to be your coworker. Peers at school, in the Lions Club, at the fitness center, all there by chance. God says, no, he has determined where everyone will be and has placed them there. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Why? Because he has strategically placed you there as well. You are not there by chance. You are not on that job, in that school, in that fitness center, in that Lions Club, in that neighborhood, just for some random purpose. You have a specific task, and it's to represent Jesus Christ. How well is his plan working out? For you, I mean. How well is it working out with your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you see in school, Lions Club, the fitness center? Are you thinking now in your head, maybe God should have made a different plan? Friends, this is our task. This is our responsibility And there's no greater joy in the world than sharing Jesus and seeing someone have their eyes enlightened and to be rescued from their perishing. Now, to help us fulfill that commission that God has given to us, I'd like for the ushers to hand out these cards. These cards are, I've called them scaffolding the gospel. And that word scaffolding is an educational term. If you're an educator in this room, you're probably familiar with this term. When you scaffold something for a pupil in school, you're going to break that lesson down into smaller parts to take them from where they are to where they should be. And so how are you going to take that neighbor, that coworker, that Lions Club member, that student at school, that that person at the fitness center and take them from a place where they have no interest in the gospel, no interest in Jesus Christ, no interest in the Bible whatsoever because they are blind and they don't realize they are perishing and bring them to a point where they, they truly are interested and curious and they want to study the Bible with you and ultimately they turn from their sins and, and trust in Jesus. Friends, it begins with prayer. Prayer is the foundation of everything that we do. If this is God's job, And it is. And if he has commissioned us to be his representatives, to be his spokespeople, and he has, then we align with him through prayer. 
And so we begin everything. And, and each step along the way, we cover these in prayer. The entry points, those are what I'm talking about. Your, your, your neighborhood, your, your job, your school, your fitness center, your, your Lions Club, wherever you're meeting people who are blind and perishing. These are your entry points. But there's another aspect to the scaffolding illustration. This scaffold is only as strong as the number of connections it has and as strong as each one of those connections is. And so if your only connection with your neighbor is to see him as he's driving into his driveway and then into his garage and shutting the door, that's going to be a pretty weak connection. It's going to be very difficult to move to the next step to have a gospel conversation with him. If your only relationship with your coworker is passing him in the hall and saying hi and standing at the water cooler and talking about the latest game, that's going to be a pretty weak connection. You're going to have to do some things outside of those normal connecting points and go deeper and make more connecting points with that person. These are your entry points that earn you the right to have this gospel conversation. You're taking your relationship and you're crossing what Rico Tice in his book, Honest Evangelism, calls the pain line. Why does he call it the pain line? Because it's difficult to have a conversation about the gospel with people because we don't know how they're going to respond. Rico says they're going to respond either with hostility or hunger. We would love for everyone to respond with hunger. But the truth of the matter is, some people are going to be hostile. And you have to be willing to take that risk and continue to be friends with them and go as far with them as they're willing to take you. All the time, praying for them. Ultimately, our goal is to get them into a Bible study. That's why if you bring them to something like putting and ice cream or the lug nuts game where uh, Jeremy Foco and, and uh, uh, Jorge Navarro are going to be talking at 6.30. I forgot to mention this in my ministry moment. This is a brief update on that. At 6.30 in The View, they're going to be talking about their ministry as chaplains to the lug nuts. And hopefully we'll have a couple of recorded testimonies for, for you to watch of uh, lug nut players talk about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result of taking them to one of these events, it's very easy to have a conversation with your friend and say, what did you think? Just four words, easy to remember. What did you think? And see if they're interested in going further with you and ultimately getting into a Bible study. Uh, after I printed these, I read Rico's book, and Rico doesn't call it Bible study. He calls it Bible sharing. Bible study might seem a little intimidating. But just open the Bible and read it with your friend and ask a few key questions. And all the time, you're praying that God is opening their eyes to see this truth, wanting to know more, and ultimately wanting to put their faith in Jesus. Now, the back of this card is critical. This is taken from uh, a Christian Businessmen Connections card. Mike Winters, our missionary in this area with Christian Businessmen's Connection, and, and Mark Whitaker was our Lansing Talk speaker last spring. They've given us permission to, to duplicate the back of their card on the back of our card. This is your commitment to pray for the people in your life who are lost. And, and right now, maybe you'll think of one or two people. But I guarantee you start praying every day. And God is going to open your eyes and pretty soon your card is going to be full. And it's going to be 
written, th this is my card. Maybe you can't see it from back there. I can show it to you afterwards. It's written on the side. I've got several people written on one line. These are the people that I'm praying for every day. And I remember one time at our ESL class, we were talking about something along these lines, and I, I brought this card out, and, and one of the ESL students, who is not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, she said, he's got my name on that card. Boy, was I glad I did. <laughs> I challenge you. Take this. Use this. This card actually is a little hard to write on. I was disappointed when it came. It's very glossy. I think you could use a Sharpie marker to write on it. I've ordered some other ones that are a little bit smaller. They're on the lug nuts table if you want to exchange your card or even pick up extra cards. They've got a ton of these for you to use. In 2003, I began a Bible study with a young lady named Masako. I met with her and her mom. Her mom was a believer. Masako wasn't, or, or I'm sorry, her name is Aya. Her mom's name is Masako. Aya was not a believer. Masako was. Aya was going through some difficult times in her life. And so her mom asked me if I would have a Bible study with her, and, and I gladly did. And we met, I don't know, six, 12 months. And it was toward the end of 2003 that at one of those Bible studies, Aya made a profession of faith in Christ. I tell you, I was so excited. And I handed her off to a leader in our church to disciple her because our Bible study had been in using my limited Japanese and her limited English. And after one week, this church leader came back to me and said, Aya is not really a Christian. I said, what are you talking about? I've been teaching her the Bible for the last six months, 12 months. And just last week, I was there. She prayed to receive Christ. He said, well, you know what? In her heart, she believes that Jesus rose from the dead. But in her head, she doesn't believe that he actually did. Now, that blew me away. You know, we have the opposite problem in America, I think. We have a lot of people with a head knowledge, but not the heart. And I came to understand this is how Japanese people view their own religions. The, the religious stories that go along with Shintoism and Buddhism. They look at those stories as myths and legends. They're nice to believe in because, well, they give you moral direction. They provide a source of community with others. They make you feel good. But they know in their head that they're not really true. And that's what Aya had done with Christianity. And so we began to pray for Aya. And my friend continued to meet with her. And then on Easter Sunday, 2004, I preached a message from 1 Corinthians 15, Proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, God has a trump card. And it's this. With God, all things are possible. From a human perspective, of course, it's impossible for someone to rise from the dead. But not with God. God 
can do anything. And that afternoon, Aya sent me an email. And she said, I believe with my heart and my head, Jesus rose from the dead. See, Aya had an education, but what she needed was a revelation. She needed to have those eyes opened, and the only one that can do that is the Holy Spirit through the preaching of his word. She needed a a change to rescue her from the condition that she was in of perishing for her sins. And a few months later, in the Sea of Japan, I was able to baptize her. And now, 15 years later, she's still a member of our church in Japan. That's the power of the gospel. What about you? Maybe you're here today, and you're like Aya. You're here because you're curious, because you like the feeling, you like the songs, you like the atmosphere. Maybe your friend invited you. You like the Bible. But never have you truly had the light turn on. Never have you truly turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus. Right now, right where you're sitting, if God is doing this work in your heart, you can turn to him and put your faith and trust in him. And now let me speak to those in this room who are already followers of Jesus Christ. What's your relationship with the people that God has strategically placed in your life? Are you looking at those relationships as just mere coincidences? It's nice to have these neighbors, these coworkers, and so forth, but you've never crossed that pain line. You've never had that conversation. Maybe you've never built the relation up, relationship up so that it's strong enough to have that kind of a conversation because it's just one of these, hey, how you doing kind of a thing. Let me challenge you this morning. Take your mission your commissioning, your role as an ambassador for Jesus Christ seriously. Can you imagine what Lansing would look like if everyone at South Church became serious about their role as, of being as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Oh, you know, these things take time. You start today, you may not see any fruit for two or three years. There are people on my list that I've been praying for for years Some I pray for every day, over and over and over and over again. And I see no change whatsoever. And then someone else comes along and boom, all of a sudden fruit. And it's because you put yourself in the place where God can use you. God is looking for people who want to be used. Are you one of those people? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, In your mercy, you have saved us and then commissioned us to represent you. What an awesome challenge, responsibility, and privilege. Thank you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who has never truly turned from their sins and trusted you, that today would be the day. And Lord, I pray that for those here who are professing to be followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
That it would not be just something that is a cultural thing. That we just come and show up on Sundays and live our lives the rest of the week and, and the people that you have strategically, strategically placed in our lives continue to be in that state of perishing. Waken us, Lord. Wake us up. Inspire us to be part of this fantastic ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.